If you have your Bibles, and I trust you do, I want to invite you to open with me this morning to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, and I tell you that song we just sang, I, I, I feel that way, especially in, in this service, I love to tell the story to those who know it best, and we know it best and still we hunger and we thirst for it and after it, wanting it more and more uh, and, and more. So this morning we continue um, our series, so welcome to week nine of our Colossians series where we are walking through this letter which lifts high the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ to us. And this morning we come to Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4 which is it's called the bridge text in the book of Colossians. And what that means is it ties together the front part of the book with the, the back part of the book. Or, or these four verses connect the doctrinal sections of Colossians with the practical sections of this letter, which is kind of what Paul does throughout all of his letters. He begins by going deep in doctrine, and then he goes on to how we apply that practically. So in the book of Colossians, it plays out like this. Chapters 1 and 2, Paul proclaims and defends the supremacy of Christ over creation, over our salvation, over the church. And then in chapters 3 through 4, he emphasizes the supremacy of Christ over um, every life of, of every believer, every personal life of every Christian, or Kind of to say it in a different way, the first half of this letter reveals a cosmic Christ who is the sovereign head over everything in creation. Where the second half of this letter, we meet a personal Christ who seeks um, to exercise lordship over every part of our lives. What you have here is kind of two sides of the same coin. But yet what we know is this, in order for his lordship to be exercised in every area of our lives, we have to get our minds off of the things of this world, and we have to get our minds focused on things above. We have to get our minds focused on Christ, where Jesus becomes our goal, our focus, our, our life. And just pause with me just now and ask yourself that question, what is my mind currently focused on? Am I focused on Enduring the next few minutes before we get out of the service? Am I focused on what I'm going to be eating this afternoon? Am I focused on this or, or that or something else? But ultimately, am I focused on earthly things or am I focused on heavenly things? I love the words of C.S. Lewis who said this, Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. So this morning, what I want us to do in the time that we have, I want us to unpack this bridge paragraph um, that exists within this rich and glorious letter um, written to the church at Colossus by Paul, but ultimately also written to, to us. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word together. We're going to read Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to dive in. So verse 1 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you, and Lord, today we ask that you would allow us to set our minds on you, to set our minds on your truths and your ways, um, to break the, the chains and the influence that the world has over our minds. Lord, help us today, God, to have transformed minds, as Romans 12 says. And just do that, Lord, through your word, by your spirit, to your people. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So, on July 16, 1969, Neil Armstrong, Michael Collins, Buzz Aldrin propelled into space aboard Apollo 11. The rocket apparatus weighed almost 103,000 pounds, but, get this, carried 5.6 million pounds of fuel. At takeoff, the five engines produced 7.5 million pounds of thrust in order to reach the escape velocity of 17,500 miles per hour that was required in order to break the gravitational pull um, of our world and for them to get into orbit. So just think about all the things that had to take place for them to be able to break the gravitational pull to go into space. And just kind of go with me here. Not only does our Earth have a gravitational pull that's fighting to keep us here, the world, with its fleshly desires, with all of its sinfulness, also has a pull that is fighting to keep our attention on it and on it alone. So the world is pulling at us and desiring us to keep our focus. And the question for us becomes, how do we break the pull of this world? How do we set our minds, our hearts, how do we set our lives on things above? And the most practical way, of course, is that we have to hear the words of the one who has all authority. And then we need to act on what he has said. We have to believe his word and what he declares over us. A story was told that one day Napoleon's prized steed ran away. An alert private immediately jumped on a horse and chased after the great military leader's steed. When the private returned with the horse, Napoleon smiled at the private and said, Thank you, Captain. The overjoyed private immediately took his old uniform to the quartermaster, exchanged it for a captain's uniform. He then ran to the barracks, packed his bags, and moved immediately into the officer's quarters. In an instant, the commander-in-chief changed his status from a lowly private to a commissioned officer. But get this, this new officer simply believed what Napoleon said, and then he acted accordingly. In a similar yet much greater way, Jesus has forever changed our status before God. He's forever changed our status. So this morning is an opportunity for us to hear our status um, from the word of God, from the all-authoritative one, and then for us, after hearing it, to believe it and to act accordingly. And when we do that, what we're going to do is we're going to see the pull of this world broken over us so that we can truly set our minds on things above, not just on things below. 
So this morning we're going to unpack three truths related to how we set our minds on things above and, and what will allow us, what identity that Christ reveals to us will allow us to do that. So the first truth is this, we set our minds on things above for we have been raised with Christ. We have been raised with Christ. Look at verse 1, it says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The New Testament speaks of the resurrection of believers in two senses. Um, in most instances, when the resurrection is mentioned, it's a future sense and what we will be when Christ returns. So most times when the resurrection is mentioned, it's speaking about what's going to, to be. But, but here, the believer's resurrection is mentioned in past tense. You have been raised with Christ. It's something that has already happened. So when Paul says if, he's not speaking about a conditional thing. If you do this, then this. No, he's speaking with certainty. This is who you are. You in Christ have been raised with Christ. Why? Because Christ himself has been raised. And this statement emphasizes the vital importance of the resurrection and how important it is to the Christian faith. I mean, think about this. Christianity rises or falls on the historical fact of Christ's resurrection. In fact, Paul says that if Christ did not rise from the dead, then we're wasting our time. Paul says it. your faith is futile. You're to be pitied above everything. So one of the most amazing claims in all of history is that a dead man lives. Jesus died and he lives. But also amazing is that every person who trusts in Christ shares in that reality. Shares in his power, shares in his glory. We are also resurrected with him. We are in Christ. So let me just, at the beginning of this time, let me just lay a big question before we go any further. A big question over you, and that is this. Have you been raised with Christ? It's a big question. Just, just hang it over you this morning. Have you been raised with Christ? In light of that big question, what I want to do is just real quick, I want to follow up with three smaller questions. But let me just say this. If you answer no to any of these questions, you are not a believer. It's just as simple as that. And I know in the world that we live in, statements like I just made, that sounds very judgmental. It sounds very prideful, but let me just say what I'm about to ask, the three questions I'm about to ask comes directly from the traditional biblical response and view of what salvation is. So we're just being biblical here. We're just walking according to the word of God. So let's, let's jump in. The first question is this, do you believe that you are a sinner, that you're an idolater, that you have openly rebelled against God, do you see yourself as that? Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, then you're not a Christian. 1 John tells us that if you say there is no sin in you, you call God a liar and the truth is not in you. So you cannot come before us or before God and go, no, I'm not a sinner because the Bible calls you a liar and says you don't know God. I guess to put it in a different way, you will never own God's forgiveness until you first own your sin. So you better own up to your sin and then you can own God's forgiveness. But do you see yourself as a sinner, an idolater, sinner before God? Do you see yourself as one who has committed cosmic treason against God? And the second question, 
Do you believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, sent as the wrath-absorbing sacrifice for your sins? Do you believe that Jesus was crucified in your place for your sin, for your rebellion? Do you believe that Jesus died for you and that he rose again the third day? Let me just say this. If you answer no to that question, you're not a believer. It doesn't matter how close you might get. It doesn't matter what great thoughts you have concerning Jesus. If you do not believe that he died for your sins and that he rose from the dead, you're not saved. This is a picture of traditional biblical view of salvation. And then number three, have you turned from your sin? Have you turned from trusting in yourself? And have you turned to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? As we saw two weeks ago, it's not just enough to approach Jesus as Savior while ignoring him as Lord. We must receive him for who he is. And according to the word of God, he is Savior and he is Lord. And we have to lift him up and believe him and receive him for who he is. So if those three things are not true of you, if you've never seen your sinfulness before a holy God, if you've never um, turned away from trusting in yourself and your sin and leaned all of you that you are upon Jesus Christ, trusting what he has done for you, for your salvation, if you've never submitted to his lordship, then according to the word of God, you have not been raised with Christ. The word hanging over your life in this moment is not life, but death. But when we are declared righteous by grace alone, through faith alone, we are in that moment raised with Christ and everything changes. Everything changes. Even our focus changes. All of a sudden, we begin to set our minds not on here, but on things above. And just, just think about it with me. When we hear the word, set your mind on things above, most of us in here think of heaven, right? I mean, set your mind on things above, we think of, of heaven. Yet, when we think of heaven, most of us tend to go in a whole lot of different directions when we think about heaven. Some focus on this, some focus on this, some focus on this. So some of us, when we think about heaven, we, we focus or we look forward to a place of reward for being faithful to God. So we look forward to a time where we're going to be recognized and rewarded. Others of us look forward to reunions that we're going to have with believing loved ones, and we look forward to, to that day. Others of us look forward to eternal rest from the cares and the troubles and the concerns of this world. And let me just say this, although all of those things are a part of heaven, if that is as far as our minds go, then we misunderstand what heaven is all about. In fact, let me just make it clear for all of us this morning. The focus of heaven is not us. The focus of heaven has been, is, and will forever be him. Forever be him. So if your passion for heaven is strictly about your hopes of seeing your loved ones, then you ultimately do not have on your mind what heaven has on its mind. Let me say it again. If your whole view of heaven doesn't go any further than loved ones, then you don't have on your mind what heaven has on its. Because heaven right now is not thinking about your loved ones. Heaven right now is thinking about Jesus. And it will for, I didn't get an amen for that. Oh, my goodness. God didn't amen that. Wow. 
But you know what? Maybe you didn't aim in that because I'm stepping on your toes right now. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, just maybe you need to hear this because the reality is right now, heaven is not centered around you and your loved ones. Heaven is now and forever will be centered around him. And his praise is rejoicing and his praise is resounding and his praise will forever be resounding. Think about this. Let me, let me just, in heaven, we don't just have loved ones there. And I'm glad we do. I'm so thankful for that. But we have a Savior. We have a Savior there who is forever worthy of our praise. Therefore, we aren't seeking things above because that's where the things are. We're seeking things above because that's where Jesus is. And that's where our mind needs to be focused on. We've been raised with him. We've been raised with him. Our thoughts are there. Our life is there. We're trusting him and believing him. But then second of all, we set our minds on things above because our lives are hidden with Christ. So our lives are hidden with Christ. Look at verse 3. It says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Before we are saved, the Bible proclaims that we are dead in our sins. We're doornail, dead in our sins. But when we receive Christ, we are no longer dead in our sins. But in that moment, we are dead to sin. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 6.11. Paul declares, So you also must consider yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, you are dead to sin. You're alive to God in Christ Jesus. And I have to be honest here. I don't always feel dead to sin. Anybody else? I don't feel dead to sin. But listen, I must no longer find my identity in my sin, but find my identity in who God declares me to be. And let me just give you an example. We think about David in Scripture. And David in Scripture is called the man after God's on what? Heart. But we read David's story. And when we read David's story, we go, this guy was messed up. This guy did some stuff that I've never done. I feel a whole lot better about myself when I try to compare myself to David. And then there's things that he's done that I never have. But we look at David and we go, man, this guy, his life was all kind of messed up. And then we say, well, how can he be a man after God's own heart doing this, this, this? And then we have to stop and we have to say this. Man didn't call David the man after God's own heart. God did. And therefore, God's opinion of us and God's identity of us trumps any opinion that we have of ourselves. Amen to that. Trumps it all. And so the point for us is that we are dead to sin and our life is hidden with Christ in God. And if you're looking for a takeaway, here's a good takeaway. It means that our salvation is eternally secure. In order for us to lose our salvation, some human force or some demonic burglar would have to be able to snatch you out of Christ's hand and out of God. And that is not possible. In 407 A.D., when the emperor threatened to take Chrysostom's life if he did not recant and renounce, renounce his faith in Christ, Chrysostom confidently replied, You cannot take my life, your majesty. 
for it is hidden with Christ in God. You can't take my life, for it is hidden with Christ in God. In fact, in John 10, 28 and 29, listen to what Jesus said. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now, people ask all the time, can I lose my salvation? And here's the answer. It depends on who saved you. It depends on who saved you. If your hope of eternal life is based on your self-righteousness, your good works, your sincere motives, then you have the security of a passenger on a sinking ship with no life vest and no lifeboats meaning there is zero security in a salvation that you have to earn. And let me just go a step further, because if you have to earn your salvation, then get this, you have to keep it. And all of us are unable to earn it, and we're unable to keep it. But our salvation comes from the amazing truth and reality, get this, that Christ earned it, and he keeps it. Because he earned it, he is able to keep it. Therefore, if our hope is resting in the fact that Christ died for our sins and he is the Lord of our lives, then we can say with confidence what Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which he's committed to me to that day. He, he is able. I know that. British clergyman F.B. Meyer wrote about two Germans who wanted to climb the Matterhorn. They hired three guys and began the steep and treacherous ascent. They wrote themselves together in this order, guide, traveler, guide, traveler, guide. They had gone only a little ways when the last man lost his footing. He was held, thankfully, by the other four because each had a toehold in the slots that they had cut in the ice. But then the next man slipped and pulled down the two above him. The only one to hold on was the first guy because he had driven a spike deep into the ice. Because he held on, the other men were able to regain their footing. To which Meyer concluded his story by drawing a, an amazing spiritual application. Here's what he said. I am like one of those men who slipped. But thank God, I am bound in a living partnership to Christ. And because he stands, I will never perish. Because he stands, because he holds, because he has earned my salvation, and because he keeps my salvation, I will never perish. My life is hidden with Christ in God. I am eternally secure. Therefore, I set my mind on things above because that's where my Savior is. And then lastly, we set our minds on things above for we are to find our life in Christ. We do it because we are to find our life in Christ. Look at verse 4. It says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I love that word, that, that phrase there, Christ is your life. Christ is your life. Think about this. If Christ has no place in your life, 
then you are lost in your sins and you are on your way to hell. If Christ only has a place in your life, then you too may be lost and you may be on your way to hell. Yet, if you are a person who has been born again, Christ is not just an important part of your life. He is life itself. He gives us life and he is the aim of our lives. Just think about this. What he does in us and what he does through us is the overall aim and goal and glory for him and good for us. Just marinate on this for a moment. In the words of, of John Piper, do you love the thought that you exist to make God look glorious? Do you love the thought that all of creation exists to, exploit, to excuse me, display the glory of God? Do you love the truth that all of history is designed by God to one day be a completed canvas that displays in the best way possible the greatness and beauty of God? Do you love the truth or the fact that your salvation is meant to put the glory of God's grace on display to a lost world around you? Is Christ your life? If he is, then there's glory there. Not just future glory, but present glory. Yet the ultimate picture is what we see at the very end of verse 4. I love this. It says this. When he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We will appear with him in glory. And when Paul says in glory. He's not just speaking about a place. He's not just speaking about what we would call heaven. He's speaking about an experience by which we share fully in the glorified life of Jesus. Think about this. One day, every burden will be lifted. Every lie will be exposed. Every sacrifice will be rewarded. Every pain will be healed. Every tear will be wiped away. Every hope will be realized. Every promise will be fulfilled. But even greater than that, according to 1 John chapter 3, one day we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. We will be like him. Be like him, for we will see him as he is. In 2 Thessalonians 1.10, Paul put it this way. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. John Stott explains it all this way. So how will the coming Lord Jesus be glorified in relation to his people? Not among them, as if they will be the theater or stadium in which he appears, nor by them, as if they will be spectators, the audience who watch and worship, nor through or by means of them, as if they will be mirrors which reflect his image and glory. Now he says, although in a sense all of those things are true, but rather what Paul says is, God's glory will be displayed in them as if they will be a filament which itself glows with light and heat when the electric current passes through it. Meaning because Jesus is our life, it won't just be an outer glory, it'll be an inward glory. We will appear with him in glory and his glory will be in 
us. Why? Because he is our life. Because the second person of the Trinity is our life. That is how profoundly united we are right now to Jesus. That apart from him, we are nothing. We have nothing. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But because of the certainty of his coming, and just in case you're not following along, he is coming again. So with the certainty of his coming, there is a certainty of our union with him. We will appear with him in glory. Therefore, and I love that word, therefore, the woes and sorrows of this life are not the end for us. The pain and the difficulty, even the diseases and terrible circumstances do not have the last word over our lives. God gets the last word over our lives. In fact, I love what God says or what Jesus says because Jesus says, I have not left you as orphans. I've not left you to figure this out on your own. I've not left you just to fake it until you make it. I haven't left you to try to figure out your way to me. I've given you my spirit and I will come again. Let us then with these great truths, not just in our heads, but these great truths in our hearts. Let us fix our eyes. Let us fix our minds on things above because that's where Jesus is. And let us want and desire to be with him. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to call Brother Frank and the musicians up in this time, and we're going to enter into a time of invitation and consecration where we say whatever the Lord is speaking to your heart in this moment to do, that you would do it. Maybe you're here today and you realize in the first section that you haven't been raised with Christ, that you've never been born again. The good news of Scripture is that there is a day for your salvation, and it's called today. Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day for you to confess your sins before God and confess your trust in Him as your Savior and Lord. But also today is a day for us to confess that maybe there's a pull upon our lives, that a worldly pull that's not allowing us to be heavenly-minded. And we need in that moment, in this moment, to have that pull broken in our lives so that we can truly fix our eyes on and minds on things above, not just on things here. Remember, if we aim at heaven, we get earth thrown in. If we aim only at earth, we get neither. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for how your word, who your word identifies us as being, that we have been raised with you. Jesus, we've been raised with you. Oh, we've been raised with you. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. We are eternally safe in you. You are our life. You're our lifeblood. You will forever be our life. And in a greater way, much greater way than we can ever imagine, Jesus, you are coming again. You are coming again and we will be with you in glory and we will have your glory on display in us in a way that we can't even wrap our, our heads around. That we will see Jesus and we, we will become like him. Father, just encourage us with that truth today. <coughs> Encourage us with those truths in, in ways that will break the hold of this world upon us and instead put our focus on Jesus. 
God, do that, we pray, in your name. Amen.